Hi, this is Pastor Sam Murphy from Christ-Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ-Centered Cast. Our mission is to build a Christ-centered community by preaching, teaching, and reaching our community through Christ-centered ministries. Our mission is to build a Christ-centered community by preaching, teaching, and reaching our community through Christ-centered ministries. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that's how I opened last week's message as well. And we'll open next week's message too. Because the three-part series that we're going through as we begin the new year, as we begin 2021, is that we're taking a look at our mission and purpose of why, as a church, we exist. And why, as a ministry, it's necessary to do what we do. We're not just here to be a church. We're here to be the church. And that involves doing certain things. And each week we're looking at one of those things. Last week, we looked at the importance of preaching God's word, of God's mission for us to deliver his word so that others might know Jesus Christ and come to relationship through him. Last week, we looked at preaching and how we do that and why we do that ultimately. Tonight, we're going to look at the next part. We're going to look at teaching people. And we're not going to look at it from the conventional standpoint of, of how we think of with a classroom and a teacher, because when we hear teach, that's often what we get in our mind as a visual representation of what teaching is. It's, we're going to look at something a little bit different tonight in regard to teaching, in regard to teaching in God's word. And it's not unrelated at all to what we looked at last week when we talked about preaching. You see, because this week, as we look at teaching, we're going to see that Jesus wants us to build a Christ-centered community through making disciples. Discipleship and disciple-making is really about teaching. At the end of the day, it is about teaching others, about teaching others God's word and how to live, and not only telling them that, but teaching them uh, in a practical way as well through how one lives. And we see that that was something that Jesus wanted for his people, for believers, for the church to be involved in. The Greek word disciple literally means learner or pupil. So it's not just this idea of a follower that we might initially get. It's a disciple is one who learns, who is taught by another. It is a learner or a pupil. And what Jesus wants us to know through this word disciple, through this term disciple, is that discipleship is not just a conversion experience followed by learning some Bible. Because there are a lot of people that know the Bible and know it well who don't know Jesus or the Jesus of the Bible. They know it like any other textbook, one might say. But it's more than that. Discipleship is more than just coming to Christ and then learning some Bible facts so you do well in Bible trivia. It's about learning truly what it means to live as a believer, how to live that out, and also how to bring other people to Jesus as well. It's a process that must be taught and modeled to others. Tonight we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. If you want to turn there in God's word or click there if you're following online or on your phone. Matthew chapter 28. It's a very familiar a notable passage that we're going to be looking at tonight known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And in Matthew 28, 
in verses 16 through 20 in the Great Commission, we find him tell us that as a church and as believers, his call for us, or one of his calls to us, is to teach others. This particular passage in Matthew 28 takes place, here's some context and background, following the resurrection. So Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he rose again, and what we find here is that prior to this passage taking place, that Jesus appears to the ladies who went to the tomb. So the ladies went to the tomb on resurrection day, they saw that he wasn't in the tomb, they did meet an angel, and when they were returning back to tell the disciples what they had seen, they encounter a resurrected Jesus. And the resurrected Jesus tells them, go and tell the rest, and then tell them that they need to go to Galilee, to a mountain, and I'll meet them there. So basically, like he says, you know, I'll catch up with them soon, but make sure you tell them where to go. And that kind of gives us the background and the backdrop for where we see in Matthew 28, where Jesus meets them on the mountain to deliver the Great Commission. We see that a short time after Jesus' resurrection, he tells them to meet him in Galilee. And they do so as they were instructed. And it's here on this mountain that he gives them his final instructions. And I read something this week as I was studying this. There's a saying that last words are lasting words. And I think that is the case here as well. So he wants to give them some instructions and his, his final instructions before he ascends into heaven. He gives them three directives to obey, to follow. And if they do that, then they are going to be able to fulfill his mission for them of making disciples. Because we saw last week his mission was to preach the word. And this week we see that it's to make disciples or teach others. So tonight as we look at this passage, we're going to see these three directives that are given in the Great Commission to make disciples. Let's look at the passage. Beginning at verse 16 of Matthew 28, we see, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray and then take a look at this passage more deeply. Father God, tonight as we look at the Great Commission, I pray that you would open our hearts to the truth that you have here in your word about the purpose and mission of your church, of the believers. Lord, I pray that we would hear what you have us to hear, that you would remove any distractions, and that we would seek to apply the truth that we discover tonight. And it's in your Son's name we pray tonight. Amen. So we see these three discipleship directives. But before we dig down into those three directives, I want us to get a little bit of background on the significance of why the Great Commission is so important. So we have the setup here of the disciples who obeyed Jesus and went to the mountain as they were told. And we find that when they get up on the mountain, there's seemingly several of them, we find a distinction between the kinds of disciples that are there. We see that there are those that when they saw him there on the mountain, they immediately worshipped. But there were also some who doubted. That word doubt is uh, in the Greek means to be double-minded or to be of two minds. 
And there was some apprehension on the part of some. So you had some that were apprehensive and weren't sure what was happening. And I mean, really, we dogged these guys a lot. But imagine you were there and somebody rose from the dead that you had been following for three years that you didn't even anticipate dying, even though he said he was going to. And then he reappears from the dead and you have to deal with the fact that this is something new. I mean, we take the Bible for granted and we take the Lazarus stuff for granted, and we take the Jesus resurrection stuff for granted. We're like, yeah, it's in the Bible. That happened. Well, think about what it was like for them then. That wasn't an everyday thing. And if it happened today, there would be many, even many who had faith, that would struggle. And so we see people here who are struggling with the truth of Jesus' resurrection, but then there are those that, and we've talked about the gift of faith before, and that, and how different people have different gifts of faith, but we see here that there are some that just worship. They recognize what's happening. They recognize the importance of it. And they worship immediately after seeing him. So he makes that distinction, or the distinction is made here by the writer. And then in 18, we see, And Jesus came to them, or came and said to them, and here it is, this is significant, folks, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. And you're getting into the commission now. Go, therefore. What's one of Pastor Sam's favorite words? Therefore. Why? Because we have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And understanding the therefore here in the Great Commission unlocks the importance of the passage for us. Because then it becomes more than just a box to be checked as a Christian. And we realize the gravitas of what he's saying here. He says, go, therefore. Go, because all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me to give to you to do so. Think about that. We're called to go. And Jesus says, go because I told you to, because I have all of the authority all the time everywhere. And when you go, you do it in that authority. So it's more than just obeying simply something that Jesus said because we're supposed to do it because we're Christians. It's recognizing that there's some real power behind this and that it is the core of who we are as Christians and what we're supposed to be doing because these are lasting words and some of Jesus' last words here on earth. Go, therefore, because I've given you authority, all of the authority in heaven and on earth. And we see here as he begins to unroll the Great Commission to us that this going is actually our first discipleship directive. It's our, the first directive that Jesus gives the disciples and ultimately gives to us as believers is to go. And we go in the authority of Jesus Christ himself with all the power in heaven and on earth at our disposal to do so. And what we find here as we look at the text in the first part of verse 19 is that this going our going is assumed by Jesus. He tells them to do it. There, there is an expectation there. So technically, if we're not going in the power of the Lord to make disciples, we're not doing our job as Christians. It's really that simple. If you remove the three components of the Great Commission, it very simply reads, Jesus says, I have all power in heaven and on earth. Make disciples, and I'll be with you when you do it. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But it's that very simply. That is what we're here for, what we're supposed to be doing as believers. That's where our efforts and our energy and our time and our emotions 
And all of those things that we like to take and use in other places we shouldn't, that's where it needs to be directed, making disciples. Our going is assumed by the Lord. And our going also requires intentionally engaging people outside the walls of the church. So Jesus here is telling them, you're going to be reaching people off the mountain. And he rolls out the Great Commission in another place in Scripture in Acts, and we actually find him telling them to go to Jerusalem and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you can look at that in kind of a, a circle as you go out. And there is that call for us to go out from the center. You are not going if you spend all of your time talking to other Christians, talking to other people at your church, talking to other people who think exactly like you do and who act like you do. You are not going. And you and we, if we're not going, are not doing our job. He says go. Intentionally engage those outside of our church walls, our community, to reach other communities. He says go, therefore, and make disciples. And, and this is where it really gets uncomfortable. So everybody buckle up for this. And I was kind of saving. This is kind of where it was interesting that I had planned to preach this passage before everything went down earlier in the week. Because here we go, folks. Time to get on the ride. Jesus says to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I don't think that I can stress that enough tonight. Because I was having little mini sermons in my head all week this week as I was preparing this passage and reading it and meditating on it and praying over it. Jesus says to go make disciples of all nations. One of the most troubling things this week that came out as a result of everything that took place earlier in the week in the capital was this term that was coined, Christian nationalist. Let me say it again, that way we make sure we get it. Christian nationalist. Jumbo shrimp. Oxymoron. How do we know this? Jesus very clearly here calls the disciples to go and make disciples of what? All nations. A Christian nationalist, by definition, is a Christian that operates within the sphere of what? And, and works toward the agenda of what? One nation. If you see some vitriol and anger coming out here, I don't know if I should apologize or not, but that's the reality of the situation. If we claim, and I say we because I refuse to claim it, if there are those that claim the moniker of Christian nationalist, you are roundly rejecting the Great Commission in all of its forms. Because Jesus has called us to reach the nations. What does that mean? That means that there isn't a place for one to be above or better than another. Why? Because he's called us to reach all the nations. And what makes this even more powerful, here we go, there is another level here. This, this, this onion has lots of layers. That word nations is not referring to a landmass or a body of land at all. Like we might read this superficially and go, oh, nations, okay. Well, we've got 
North America. Oh, man, is there other countries out there? I joke, but there are other nations, but it's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about a body of land. That word nation actually means people group. It comes from the Greek word ethnos, which speaks of ethnicity. So God, Jesus Christ himself, has called us to reach all ethnicities. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, of all ethnicities. Lest I digress too much, I, for the life of me, cannot understand why we wouldn't be opening opening and welcoming, welcoming to people from different countries. Because, I mean, then they're, God is bringing them to us, literally, to share the gospel with. But that is probably another message for another time. Because suffice to say here, Jesus tells them to go to make disciples of all nations. But that's enough about that. That's our first directive. That's the first thing that he tells us that we need to be doing as Christians. And I don't know where you are tonight on everything that happened this week. I don't know where you are on your feelings about borders and, and, and ethnicities and all those kinds of things. But I'm, I'm here to tell you what Jesus is saying. And that's what he's saying. And if you're not where Jesus is, you need to get there. We all need to get there. That's my simple exhortation to you with this one. Because really, Jesus said it best. I can't say anything better than that. But there's other directives here that are involved in this process of disciple making that go even beyond going and making disciples. He says, you go and baptize. That's the second directive here, baptizing. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I love the Trinity representation there. He tells them to baptize. Interestingly in Scripture, again, this is one of those situations where if you don't take the time to read beyond the Bible superficially, you might read this and go, oh, so we either just sprinkle pour water on them or dump them, and then that's, you know, we, we fulfilled what he wants us to do. No. In the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, whenever you see someone get baptized, it is always in, uh, it, always, it always follows a, a conversion experience where someone comes to Christ, they acknowledge Christ as their Lord and Savior, as the Messiah, then they are baptized. So when we see this term baptism in the New Testament, which does in fact mean to immerse, to put under and then bring out, that is always in conjunction with salvation. So when Jesus tells them here to go, to make disciples, to baptize, he's saying bring other people to Jesus Christ and then baptize them. Why are those things related and connected? Here's why. We find first, as we look at this, that much like going, baptism is assumed by the Lord. He doesn't give them an option. He doesn't give us an option. That's why we're here. But what we find, when we look at New Testament baptism, it's symbolic. It is an outward expression of an inward decision. It symbolizes a, a commitment on the inside to recognizing our death with Jesus Christ. And that's in Romans, where we spent Christmas, for those of you that remember. We find that in Romans, in chapters 6 through 8. A lot of talk about baptism and that, and that symbolism and the significance of dying to ourselves and rising with Christ. It symbolizes a decision to a commitment to Christ 
and even additionally to a commitment to the community. So people in the New Testament, and I know that I've, I've preached from the soapbox before, and I will do it again, Christianity meant so much more in Scripture to people because it cost them something. When you accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and as your Lord in the New Testament, people often lost relationships in their families, they lost their jobs, they lost their status in society, they lost their connections, and many lost their lives. So there was significance to someone who publicly declared their relationship with Jesus Christ, who was baptized in public for all to see. And we see when we, when we encourage people, when we bring other people to Jesus Christ and we encourage them to be baptized, we're calling people to essentially join a community of faith and to demonstrate what they believe on the inside. It's, a, it's symbolic. It's ultimately a declaration of allegiance. One of our biggest problems as Christians is that we have many times a superficial allegiance. We like to treat Jesus like a genie in a bottle. As long as he does what we ask him to do or want him to do or we wish that he would do, then we're good with him. But when we don't have need for him, we just let him live in the bottle of our lives. We don't have anything to do with him whatsoever. He's just kind of there. But when we're talking about Christianity in the New Testament, where Jesus is calling these guys to go into the nations and to baptize others, he's calling them to call others to identify with him in allegiance, to give their lives in following him. It's a declaration of allegiance. When was the last time you thought about that significance in your own Christian life? When was the last time that you thought about what baptism really means and how it's, it's declaring your allegiance to Jesus Christ as your Lord? One day there is going to be a great battle with heavenly armies. And then we will truly see the allegiance that comes with being a follower of Christ. But I'm telling you now, it doesn't start then. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you've already signed up for the Lord's military. And he's mobilized you here. That's why in Timothy, we see Paul telling Timothy not to be, and here I know I'm getting back to this week again, not to be a soldier who gets embroiled in the affairs of civilians, but to be one who recognizes their position in the Lord's army. Declaration of allegiance. That's the call. And if that's not a call that you've answered or you didn't realize that's what you were answering, it's time to do business with that tonight. We're called to go to the nations, to baptize others and bring them into allegiance with Jesus Christ. We too being in allegiance to him. So we see that the process here is bringing people to Jesus Christ, going to them, and if we're fortunate, and God's grace allows it, him bringing them to us, and then baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And then comes the next step. And this is the step where we often struggle. Because there's some real cost in this. It was once said that the problem with the living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. 
And it's, uh, it's easy for people to make grand gestures of Christianity and faith in Jesus Christ, but when the rubber meets the road and it's time to live that out every day, that's when we take pause and we go, ooh, wait a second, this is, a, this is an all-day, everyday kind of thing. Yes, it is. And that's what teaching is. That's what discipleship and teaching with a learner and a pupil is. Whether you're being the one who's discipled or, or you are discipling someone else. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And without missing a beat in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what we see here is then the third discipleship directive. The first discipleship directive was we go. It's our going. As we're living daily life, in our going, we make disciples. The second discipleship directive was baptizing, or bringing other people into relationship with Jesus Christ and then calling them to publicly declare that and join community. And the third discipleship directive that we see here in the text is that we teach. And we're not teaching just Bible facts. Jesus is very specific. He gives us his curriculum. Isn't that nice? It's not a situation where he just throws us into it and says, just teach him some Bible. Then you're good. You've got your bases covered. Yay, Christian. He's very specific about what we're called to teach. And we're told here he wants us to teach his commands to observe all that I have commanded you. So really that goes back to what we talked about last week where we can't, we can't preach and we can't teach what we don't know. So there's that call, which I'm not going to dwell on tonight, but is a reality. It's hard to disciple someone if you don't know the material. But it's assumed that we do it. Teaching others is assumed. Jesus doesn't say, do you have time or you get around to it or it's optional. It's assumed that we do it. And we see here that our teaching is, is to edify, to build up, to strengthen in the commandments of the Lord. We're actually literally showing and telling other people how to live for the Lord. Not what we think, but what the Word of God says about how to live. It is uh, not just meant to inform. And the intention here is that it should be easy to put into practice. Now, what do I mean by that? Do, do, am I saying that it's easy to live as a Christian? Absolutely not. In fact, probably, most likely, your life will get harder as a Christian. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, is that we have to make it easy to understand for people. And that involves, again, knowing it ourselves. Because the best teachers are not ones who teach everything that they know. They're ones who know how to teach and know what to teach and when to teach it. And in the way that it will be received by the learner. So if someone doesn't understand what you're teaching when it comes to discipleship and God's word, that's not necessarily and most likely not on them. That's on you and your faculty with God's word and being able to take the truths of God's word and make them something that is easily understandable and then applicable to the life of the hearer or learner. So when he talks about teaching here, that's what he's talking about. We don't dangle God's truth way up here and then expect people to jump up and reach for it. We make it our goal to strive to know it so well that we can bring it to where they are. He calls us to teach. And the teaching 
must be communicated as it's commanded. So while we are taking the truth of God's word, and when we're discipling others, it means bringing it to where they are so that they can understand it, but it does not mean watering it down. Because Jesus Christ is clear about what he commands in Scripture. So we don't twist or take the truth out of context to make it easier to obey. We make it more easy to understand, but it might be very difficult to obey. Paul talks about that when he defends the gospel, when he says that they made it a point not to, to twist it for their own gain. God's word is not easy to do. It can be easy to understand for the most part, as long as we study it and we make ourselves students and pupils of it. But we're called to communicate it in such a way that it can be understood, to communicate it as commanded. Of all the things Jesus could have said at the end there, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Wow. He's taking this very seriously, this discipleship thing. Where would you say you are in your facility with God's word in order to communicate it to other people? When someone asks you a question about the Bible, is your first response, well, I'm at least familiar with it enough to be able to share with you what God's word says about it. Or is your response, I'll Google it and get back to you. Or is your response, I'll ask Pastor Sam what he thinks, and then I'll either have him follow up with you, or I'll tell you what he says. Is it any of those responses? God's word calls us to know his word and to be able to communicate his word. And my challenge and encouragement to you tonight is to take that seriously, to see that that is God's call for us, to go, to baptize, and to teach, to tell, and to show. Because aren't those the best programs like when you're in an occupation situation, when they tell you what you need to do, but then also someone comes alongside you and shows you how to do the job as well. It's exactly what it's like in the Christian life too. Help people know God's word. Help people do God's word. That's the third discipleship directive that we see here. And I love that the very last thing that he tells them. So he tells them, he starts by saying, I have all power and all authority on heaven and on earth. As a result of that, then, go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them how to live and how to observe what I've commanded you. And then he reminds them that he's not going to make them do it alone and that we don't have to make disciples on our own. In fact, we shouldn't try to make disciples on our own because that's, that's a disaster. If you don't have the Lord giving you the ability to do it, if you're not relying on the Holy Spirit and on the presence of Jesus Christ in your life, that may go very poorly. But he tells them this. He says, and behold, watch, see, listen. Take it all in, folks. Here's what I told you to do. Here's how I told you to do it. Now I'm going to show you why you'll be able to do it. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't do it alone. We do it in the context of community but we also do it in the context of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he will give you the ability. The Holy Spirit will give you the words if you ask. He will give you the ability to be able to disciple someone, to teach someone his word, how to both do it, or how to, how to know it and do it, both. 
So what do we learn from the Great Commission? We learn from this particular text that we're called to make disciples, pupils, learners, by going, baptizing, and teaching. And here's how we apply it. Here's how we live it out. First, ask yourself tonight, am I involved in a discipleship relationship right now? Am I involved in a discipleship relationship where I am either being discipled by someone or I'm discipling someone else or both? Really, ideally, both is the right answer. But if you ask yourself, am I being discipled by someone or am I discipling someone, and you answered that question no on any or all of those accounts, my encouragement to you then is to take the time to change that. Because that's a key part of living out your faith and making disciples, is being involved in that kind of a relationship, whether it's being discipled or discipling or ideally both. This year is a wonderful year to start that. Whether you've been a believer, whether you became a believer this year, you've been a believer for 20 years. There's always new things about the scriptures to learn and how to live and ways to grow. And my encouragement this year in 2021 is to begin a discipleship relationship whether that's being discipled by someone or discipling someone else or both. And I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with how to start that, if you don't know how to begin, please take time to reach out to Lauren, who directs the ministries, or another ministry leader in the church, or myself. Reach out to me and say, hey, I want to be involved in a discipleship relationship. Do you know of someone that I can connect with to either be involved in being discipled or disciple someone else or both? Please reach out to one of us and make that your goal or one of your goals for 2021. Please connect with someone and reach out to us if you need assistance with that. And if you're sitting here going, man, I would like to be involved in that kind of a relationship with someone, but I don't really, I'm not really sure about this whole Jesus thing. And I, I, don't, I don't know what you mean about being baptized and all that. And you want more information about what it means to be an actual Christian, not just the ones you see in the news and on the media. But if you want information about what it means to know Christ and to follow him according to the Bible, according to his word, please reach out to us about that as well. And we would love to introduce you to Jesus and show you what it means to know him and have a relationship with him. Father God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for your commission. Thank you for showing us from the scriptures why we're here. What our goals should be, that they should be your goals, that that's what your agenda is. To reach the nations, to baptize, and to teach and I pray that our church and that the churches in our community and throughout the world would take up this call that would fulfill this commission to the best of our ability empowered by you. Lord, thank you for sharing that you have the power and we ask for that tonight to do this for you and in your name, Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Christ Center Cast. Please join us again next week. God bless.